warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica and as always I am Gemma, my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey spooksters. Today we're going to be discussing the Netflix documentary Victim Slash Suspect. This was something that like hit me when I started watching it on a whim. And I was like, Tara, we must absolutely do this because Mm -hmm. it is, it's a big, powerful documentary. We've recorded this once already, but Jessica somehow fucked up the audio. And so now it's a main episode instead Mm -hmm. of a stabby. Yes. (laughs) But before we get into it, if you want to follow us on social media, our handle is at 3 Girls. We also have a very fun Facebook group, which we do our book club in, which I don't know about you guys, but I'm really fucking excited about the book club one this month. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen the post and then Tara was telling me about it and I literally went (laughs) and I I bought the audio. Yeah. It's Killing Triggers by Joe Kenda. So we're doing a Papa Papa Joe Joe book. book. I'm so excited. (laughs) And he narrates it. I know. So great. So I am so excited for tomorrow at work. I'm just going to be like, "Mm, I'm going to listen to this. So I'm super excited. (laughs) So if you want to join our book club, if you want to be able to get updates, we have been talking about the fact that Secret Santa or Secret Satan is like going to roll out in the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. So it was ironic. Tara and I talked about it yesterday while we were recording. And then like 20 minutes after we ended, our mods were like, hey, when do we launch this? So it all kind of was like perfect timing. Yeah. If you want to be part of that, definitely join the Facebook group. It's Three Spook Mm -hmm. Girls Official. It's a fun time. We just have like really fun memes. People post pictures. There's a lot of interaction in there. Mm -hmm. Today, I was discussing with people the the nun photo or picture. Yeah. yeah, And I was like, (laughs) Literally was like my high ass would forget I owned it and just like mm-hmm. scare myself Literally. every day. I mean, sober, I would be freaking terrified. Right? Like I would be so afraid. <laughs> yeah. Just like walk around the corner. Oh my God. Oh God. <laughs> Try to go to the bathroom, bump into it. <laughs> I just kept thinking like, what if the asshole who owned that painted the eye, the face to glow? Uh, oh my God. That'd be like amazing and terrifying at the same time. Right, like if I was in like a haunted restaurant, like you know, like a restaurant you with like haunted it. things, yeah, yeah, that would be really cool. In my house, no, because <laughs> I sleepwalk a lot, and so be that great. would just frighten the fuck out of me. Or it'd be a great time. You never know. I think at that point, I'd have to hang like a camera, like right <laughs> in front of it, so that, I, and I would just be like live streaming. 
so that people would watch my interactions all the time. But yeah, but that's all in the Facebook group. It's a great place to hang out with like-minded individuals. We, tr- we have worked really hard to create this like safe space and make sure that like everyone who goes in there can like have a voice and be heard. And also I'm just like, it's a little place to be yourself on the internet. And that's something that Tara and I are proud of that we have created over there. So if you want to be part of that Spookster community, go ahead and join the Facebook group. We also have another Facebook group. It is our Spookster shop. It's where Tara does her tarot readings. She also, that's where she posts when she has her crystal shop because she does it like periodically. It's not like she gets shipments in and then she posts what she has. So mm-hmm. definitely check it out. It's the first place that goes to. So you want to make sure you get in there because shit sells out quickly. It does. It does every time. Some of you. Yeah, I keep waiting for her to be like, well, this didn't move. <laughs> Do you want it? And no. it never happens. <laughs> No, it like, never happens. I love it's it. It's because Tara's, Tara's got a good eye. So she's like, ooh, they like this. Mm-hmm. It's also where I do blind with the book. There's just a lot of interesting things. So definitely, definitely check that out as well. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spook girls. For little as a dollar, you get a bonus episode each month. And we, Tara and I were talking about this the other day. The backlog that we have just on Patreon is like, we have like 450 here on the show. Mm-hmm. We have like a ton there. Yeah. Because there were some that we had originally on the main feed that's over there. And then we have bonus episodes mm-hmm. for each month. So mm-hmm. you definitely want to check that out. Some of them are pretty fun. Like they're pretty great. We do lots of like what's happening right now, like either headlines or stuff like that mm-hmm. there a lot. Or we'll talk about like, ooh, what shows should you be watching? So definitely go and, and hang out there. Yeah. And if you're on the TikTok, you should definitely be following Tara. Her handle is spooky underscore sleuth. She does great content, both horror based and she does true crime. She does some fun stuff. You should definitely check it out. She does the cases that we do here. Plus, she does other cases that may not be like either big enough for, you know, an episode here or just Mm -hmm. doing like, you know, keeping up with, you know, what's happening in the world yes all the fuckery <laughs> all the fuckery so definitely check it out i have a tiktok i haven't posted in over a year so i either need to like figure it out or <laughs> just <laughs> stare at tiktok forever but i have gotten better about watching my backlog that you sent me yay yeah no, i noticed that's why i send you more now <laughs> <laughs> Tara, i would like open it up and it'd be like you have 97 because <laughs> it'd, be, like, it'd be forever oh and then I'd be right. like, nope. <laughs> but, you know, I love it because it's like you've created me as like a personally curated, like for you page for things that like You're are welcome. either meaningful between the two of us or, you know, <laughs> I'll just think it's fun. Yes. So, yeah. So now that we've gone through all of our business stuff, we're going to dive straight into victim slash suspect. This is a documentary yes. that came out earlier this year. The premise of it is it's going to be talking about victims of sexual assault and things not going as planned during the investigation Mm -hmm. and those victims suddenly become suspects. So I want to put a trigger warning right here, right now. If you are a victim of sexual assault and you're in your healing process and you're not ready to hear about other sexual assault, this this is not the episode Mm -mm. for you. Or documentary. Mm -hmm. Or the documentary for you. If you have instances of bad interactions with maybe law enforcement that you're just 
that might trigger you, this also might not be the documentary slash episode for you. Mm -hmm. We have plenty of other episodes you can go back and listen to. And we will be back on Thursday with another stabby. So I just wanted to put that out there because I know that sometimes like especially sexual assault can like trigger people. And I know that I've listened to something and got caught up in it. And then I was like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to put it out there for the safety of our spooksters because we love you and we want you to be safe and we want your mental health to be safe. So, yes. So it starts off with the kind of the protagonist of this documentary, and that would be Rachel DeLeon. And Rachel, or as she goes by Ray, she is an investigative reporter. It's really cute. They like show her like a clip of her. From, from like when she was like high school or early college and she's like you know doing her little thing with her microphone and she's like oh no I messed up I gotta do it again and it was really cute because I feel that way sometimes when I like have to read something I'm like oh shit so I get it and she kind of she really wanted to be an investigative reporter and her dream was to work at the center for investigative reporting so she gets an entry-level job in there and that's basically like she's kind of like helping do research for other people's stories And eventually she gets to the point where she's going to be doing them herself, which is fantastic. And she kind of comes across the story of Nikki Yvonne. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. Who was basically arrested and charged with false reporting of a sexual assault. And she was also charged with fabricating evidence. And so for the false reporting, she could have served a year in jail. Mm -hmm. And for the fabricating evidence, she could have served up to five years. So Nikki's story is that she went to a party. These two football players take her into the bathroom. They rape her. And then they leave. And then she goes to the hospital, gets a rape kit. And... Basically, the police don't believe her story. There's too many quote-unquote inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. And the fabricating of evidence is the fact that she ordered a rape kit. Mm -hmm. So it's like falsifying evidence, basically, which to me blows my mind. Yeah. The fact that someone is like, I was raped. I came here. This is what I'm supposed to do. So this kind of triggered, this triggered Rachel into start looking into more cases like this. And she does. So Rachel finds another case, and it's the Emma Mannion case. Emma was, you know, came in, said that she was raped in a car. And she was also charged with false reporting. And interesting fact, both Nikki and Emma pled guilty to Mm -hmm. these charges. Mm -hmm. So... When Rachel brings this to her supervisor, her supervisor is like, look, I can't sign off on this right now because of the fact that these two women pled guilty. It's kind of cut and dry. Like, if you're reporting on it, people are going to be like, well, yeah, they should go to jail. They committed a crime. Mm -hmm. Because, like, false reporting is meant for, like, don't fucking call the cops and say that your neighbors are, like, building bombs in their garage (laughs) when they're, like, building a volcano with their kid. Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing. It's to it's to basically prevent misuse of resources where a police right. officer has to go out. Right. So Rachel is like, okay, I don't want to give up on this. And her supervisor's like, don't. Don't give up on this. Find more information. Mm-hmm. So she does and she starts looking. Now in the documentary, they start telling us about who Emma Mannion is. Emma is a 
At the time, she was an 18-year-old girl from a very small town in New Hampshire. Her graduating class had a total of 60 kids. That's so tiny. That's I just that's so fucking small. That's so fucking small. And it just makes me think like how big they're like what size is their town and all of that. But it's like so right. tiny. <laughs> Cuz think about like our town. Yeah. In my high school graduating class there was like 500 kids. Mhm. I don't know what it was in your high school cuz your high school is a little smaller than mine. Yeah, it was like I think 220, 230 something yeah. like that. Yeah. And we, like, you lived in a town that had under 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. Like, my, the town I went to high school in had a little over, like, I want to say, like, 13,000. So, it Mm -hmm. still was, like, pretty small towns. Yeah. And that includes, like, when we say, like, town, we, that includes people who live in, like, the outskirts of that town. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So, there's a tiny little town. And she moved to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And she was going to school, so she didn't know anyone. She didn't have any family down there. And her her freshman class had 10,000 students in it. That had to be, like, Tara said this when we first recorded this. Yeah. <laughs> that has to be more than her town. Oh, yeah. Like, so easy. And I, I just, it's like, also, I was thinking, like, probably a culture shock. Not only because of a different region, but because of, like, how populated you know what i'm saying compared to what she's used to or what only what she knows so right i think like the high school that was actually in the town i lived in i think they may have had that amount of kids and like Mm -hmm. las salinas had like 1200 people in it Mm -hmm. and that includes the unincorporated bunches of us who live outside the city limits or the town (laughs) limits you know so yeah you're right it's a huge culture shock just like going from probably knowing everybody and everybody's business to Mm -hmm. Knowing no one. Yeah, not even probably seeing the same person twice. Yeah. It's like, it's November 14th, November 14th, 2016. She goes out with some friends and they go to an area of campus that's like the fraternity row, which a lot Mm. of people do. You know, a lot of people go out on like when you're 18, it's a big cultural thing like that Mm -hmm. you go and you go to frat parties and you go like down fraternity row. You know, so she went out and her and her friends met a couple of guys. One was named Steven, and then one you'll see on the documentary, but they blur his face and they don't say his name. Mm-hmm. They're these two guys, and they're kind of like talking to girls and they're hitting on them. And it's like really funny because they're like, oh, like we should go dancing and or something like, oh, something about dancing. And she's like, oh, you don't know nothing about anything like that. And they're just mm-hmm. like goofing around, right? So it's it, right. It friendly. Looks- yeah, it looks very friendly. It looks very mm-hmm. innocent. It looks like a, your typical college interaction with just like a nor- like it looks normal. Mm-hmm. Emma says at this time she feels like she was when she watches the video back. She says if it looks like myself, but I feel like I was a lot more naive back then. Which yeah, it happens. Like when you're eighteen, yeah. like if you're eighteen and listen to this, honey, babies, you are. <laughs> you, I know you think you know the whole world, but the whole world is still out there. Yeah. <laughs> especially coming from a small town she probably was very trusting of people because oh yeah what else would she have known but then to trust people around her right so then what ends up happening is her and steven get into this parking lot and he forces her into the car and i guess she hits her head on Mm -hmm. the side of the car he forces her inside they have sex non non non-consensual sex 
Yeah. And Stephen's friend stands outside and watches it. Emma then calls her mom later and tells her, like, kind of what has happened, that she's been assaulted. And her mom is like, go to the fucking hospital, which mm-hmm. is like, good on mom. Good mom. Yeah. Like, so Emma does. She does what you're supposed to do. Like, it's what they mm-hmm. tell you to do. You've been exactly. a victim of an assault. Go to the hospital. The hospital will advocate for you and call the police. So you don't have to do mm-hmm. two things. I know a lot of times, like, like if, you, if it's in your own home, like, you should probably call the police before. Yeah. So they can come investigate. But mm-hmm. so Emma's at the hospital. And while she's there having the like the vaginal exam for the rape kit, the police arrive. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they come in while the doctor's still doing his thing, his or her thing. But they come in and they don't say, hey, Emma, is it OK if we ask you like, is it OK if we open an investigation? Is it OK if we open a report? Like, are you wanting to file a report? They just come in and they start asking her questions. And so she tells them about the rape. Mm. You know, she's very open with them about it. Yeah. About three days later, Emma gets a call from a police investigator detective by the name of Ackridge. And he's like, come back down. I'm really, this is the only part I'm really confused about timeline is like, she was arrested. Fun fact, guys, she was arrested. (laughs) If you didn't Mm, see where this is going. Yeah. Was like five days later, but they she said they called her three days later. So and the, the investigate the interrogation wasn't quite that long. Mm. It wasn't like a two day in, interrogation. So I'm just confused. Like if they just called her three days later and she went in five day, like a couple days later, unsure. But they basically said, "Hey, come back in," and they start the interrogation slash interview. It's a an interrogation disguised as an interview. Was basically told. We are trying to get as much detail as possible. You know, we call people back in a few days later because they can, you know, they may have remembered something, you know, more details, things like that, which mm-hmm. to me, like later we'll talk about those inconsistencies. Like, wouldn't you think that this would cause inconsistencies? Like you're remembering things. So it might trigger something that like, maybe you thought he was in like a blue shirt, but like now upon reflection, you realize it was actually green. Yeah. I don't know. That just kind of like popped in my head in this moment. So they do start talking about inconsistencies in her story, mainly that they had pulled footage. Now, Emma is the type of individual who respects authority. She believes that the cops aren't there to hurt her, which I just want to say that I'm not saying that they are. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want people Mm -hmm. to come for us or that. But basically what I'm saying is, like, she's respecting authority. She says on the documentary, I completely understood why they wanted me to walk back through it. She's like, I understood why they were asking clarifying questions. All of this made sense to her. Mm-hmm. The police tell her, yeah, the Tuscaloosa Police Department tells her, like, we've pulled the footage and we don't believe you. In fact, investigator slash detective Ackridge literally says to her, I don't believe you. I don't believe you at all. And then he says something else. But the other part I want to write is he's like, you are taking away from true victims by doing this. So basically, he's right then and there accusing her of lying and filing mm-hmm. a, a false report. And she's like, but I'm not lying. I yeah. don't know. Like, and you could tell, like, when they're talking to her, she just, like, looks confused. Right. The other thing is, is, like, when she goes into the room, she's wearing a long sleeve shirt, a puffy mm-hmm. vest, long mm-hmm. pants, so, like, jeans, shoes, and socks. And she says she's freezing and she's inside a room with no windows. Yeah. They got that AC cranked. (laughs) Right. In November. 
Yeah. So they can't even be like, well, it's hot outside. I mean, I don't know, actually, if Alabama's hot in November, but I know Alabama is hot, or I know Georgia is hot in, like, Mm -hmm. October, but... (laughs) I would assume it's about the same. I don't know. (laughs) The detective asked Emma point blank, did you have sexual intercourse with Steven? And she said yes, but it wasn't wanted or consensual. And he just kind of looks like the back of his head, he like kind of shakes it. It's just like, whatever. Like, you, you're admitting you had sex with him. Such a prick. Which is interesting because it's like, for a rape to happen, intercourse would have had to happen. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Right? Like, she's answering your question. Like, you asked her, she answered. Mm-hmm. He asked her, did you f- tell him no? Did you try to fight him off? Did you kick, scratch, try to punch, whatever? And she says yes. And he's like, I don't believe you. The footage doesn't show that kind of an ironic statement you'll find out in a minute (laughs) Mm, yeah and she said yeah i did and so the detective was basically telling her that this is your fault the guys on our team have been working overtime they haven't gone home they've been doing this and you're the reason why and she starts breaking you know she like breaks down and starts crying and the reason she's breaking down and crying is because of the fact that you know she feels this guilt that these She feels this guilt that these people are working hard and that this thing has happened to her and she can't control anything. And she's like just devastated at this point. So they come in and they basically tell her, look, you are at one point they leave her in the room by herself and they lock the door and they turn on a white noise machine. So she doesn't know what's going on. She's disorientated. So at this point, they come in and they handcuff Emma and they arrest her and they process her. And she says she remembers getting fingerprinted, getting her mug shot. And then all of a sudden, she's like in an area with like a holding cell or a bunch Mm -hmm. or a cell with an older inmate that asked her, like, why are you in here? And she said, I told them that I was raped and they told me I lied about it. And the older inmate was like, you got fucked over. And it was like, at that mm-hmm. point in time in her head, she was like, oh, shit. It like hit her what was happening. Right. She hadn't slept in four days at this point. She's so exhausted. She's so tired. And it wasn't like she was like, yeah, I did it. I false reported. She just kind of like stopped disagreeing with them. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. We've all been there. We've all been in a fight with someone where like suddenly they're just like, mm-hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I'm not winning. (laughs) But they just disengaged. And that's what she did. Shut down. Yeah. Right. So, you know, she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening to me. While she's in jail, the Tuscaloosa Police Department posts online about her arrest. Her full name is out there. Her mugshot. Everything happens so quickly. And she's just like, I don't know what to do at this point because mm-hmm. my whole name is out there detective Ackridge says to her like we have video footage of you making out with steven before you got in the car we mm-hmm. see you making out and then get in the car with him we know that this is consensual so because they have this this is what this is all pending on her false her false reporting is completely based off of this this footage of her making yeah. out with steven The police never give this to her attorney. They don't give her, they give her all this evidence, but zero video footage. Interesting. So she ends up taking a plea deal. And the reason why is another very tragic, is another very tragic story. Yeah. Megan Rodini, 
was a 20-year-old who was going to, I believe, the same school that Emma was going to. And this happened to Megan 20 or 15 months prior Mm -hmm. to Emma. So Megan goes out with some friends. They go to this bar for like trivia night. She is underage. She does have a false sight, like a fake ID. She drinks about five glasses of beer is what she thinks she's consumed that night. And she says she remembers when she walked in, she saw this guy that everyone in the local area knows is Sweet Tea. His name is TJ Buns. And so she sees Sweet Tea. And she's there throughout the whole evening, having fun, doing trivia. And then she decides to leave before the rest of her friends. And she ends up getting a ride from Sweet Tea and like another friend of his named Jason. What Mm -hmm. she remembers is that Sweet Tea takes her straight to his house and they go into this like trophy room where like he has all his like big game hunting Mm -hmm. going. And so she remembers seeing that and thinking it's weird and that Jason was being a little aggressive. So Sweet Tea was like, dude, go to bed. And that Jason went off to bed and that he was like, okay, we're going to my room. And she just kind of complied. I want everyone to know right now, I do not believe that complying is consent. No. That is something we totally believe on the show is that complying isn't consent. I've been in situations where I've just complied with things because it was just going to make it easier. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I wanted to do it. Right. And if, if you get a guy or a girl, whoever, if you get a person to go with you to do something, that still doesn't give you consent. Mm-hmm. So... She says that they go up to his room, he holds her down, he rapes her, and then she basically escapes later from his house. Mm-hmm. She goes, she calls her parents. Her dad is like, call, you know, her parents like call the police. Her mom, mm-hmm. Cindy, gets in the fucking car immediately, starts driving. Right. There, she goes to the hospital. She gets a, a rape kit done, all of that. Again, the right thing you're supposed to do. Exactly. The police take her statement. They go talk to Sweet Tea. Sweet Tea is like, I didn't have a girl here. Bye, guys. And they're like, I'm sorry. Like, a girl's accused you of of rape. Mm -hmm. From a police perspective, I don't understand this. A girl has accused a man of rape. Mm -hmm. And they go to his house. And he goes, Mm -hmm. I didn't have somebody over here last night. And then shuts the door and they leave. Are you fucking kidding me? Because he's like, he's like, it's like the Murdaws. Yeah. They're very, uh, very established, that family. Influential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They In have the a area. lot of money. Yeah. yeah. But then TJ recants that statement that, yeah, he in fact did have Megan over that night because he had consulted his attorney. And I'm sure his attorney was like, Dude, they could probably come in, do a search warrant, and find DNA. Yeah. And if you maybe, you know, get ahead of this in her, they might find DNA on her. So he calls them again, Detective Adam Jones, another one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Detective Jones goes over and actually like videotapes, videotapes like a walk through the house. But I'm jumping ahead of my notes. So basically, TJ is now accusing Megan of actually being a criminal. In fact, he says that she stole some money from him and took his car keys. Mm -hmm. Which those things happened. She did do those things. Yeah. But there's a big difference in stealing $3. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and raping someone. Yeah, because he, and it's so like, you just want to punch him in the face anyway. But it's like, he's like, yeah, she took all my money. Okay, three fucking dollars. Calm down. Well, right, but he never says how much. No, 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 no. But I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? He's obviously trying to like. Make it seem like she took hundreds of dollars out of it. Yeah. Like, but she mm-hmm. basically. Now, for those of you who have logical thought processes, what kind of person mm-hmm. cries rape when they've just stolen money from someone? And keys. <laughs> and keys. And I'm oh. not sure if she took the car. That was unclear to me. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I actually thought like maybe she only saw that there was $3 and she just held it in her hand. Mm-hmm. I thought like trauma processing, like you just like, oh, there's no money and you just don't put it back. And then you're like, oh, look, car keys. And then you leave. Well, I'm pretty sure he got his car back. Well, yeah, obviously. But like it's I think it was like the three dollars was supposed to be she was trying to get money for a cab. Yeah. So she could fucking leave. So maybe she grabbed it and she's like, shit, you know, it's three dollars. And then saw the key. Like, I don't know. Could have been like, you know, you're just trying to get the hell out of there because this right. fucking horrible thing just happened. So exactly. You know, not really her first <laughs> so like i said earlier megan's mom is driving towards her megan's dad is like do not go to the police without your mom Mm -hmm. you need to fucking wait for your mom right and megan is like they're pressuring me they're telling me to come down now Mm -hmm. i have to go do this and so her dad was like well then we're getting you an advocate so they do they get her an advocate and even when she's in the room at the police station Mind you, the same fucking room they interview Emma in mm-hmm. 15 months later, mm-hmm. they're in the room. Megan says to the advocate, oh, you know, he's influential in this area. And, and the advocate goes, yeah, I'm well aware. Like, she knew. Mm-hmm. Everybody Everyone in the fucking knew. room was like, sweet tea. And I'm like, this guy has like a weird nickname. Yeah, just a little bit. Right. And he's like, an, like, he's not like super older than everyone else, but he's definitely much older than the rest of the crowd hanging out at this bar. Oh, yeah. Because college bar. At the time, he was like 32 or something or 34. Yeah. Yeah. So Detective Jones starts asking her questions. Do you remember getting in his car? And Megan is like, I don't. Mm-hmm. And she go, he goes, do you remember going to your apartment? And she's like, no. Now, this time they do a photograph or do have video evidence of that her sweet tea and this guy, I believe his name is Jason, Mm -hmm. went to her apartment. They asked, do you remember fixing them a drink? She's like, no. At this point, like, if I'm a detective, and this Mm -hmm. is just me, just me thinking out loud, (laughs) I have a victim sitting here telling me that she doesn't remember a huge chunk of an evening. I'm probably should probably get see if I can do like a hair sample, try to see if I can get some sort of blood. I know Rufalin doesn't stay in the system that long, which is why it's really hard to track down. Mm -hmm. But like, try anything, you know, to get because that's where I would go. Like, she blacked out. Yeah. She said she had five glasses of beer. And unless she is an extreme lightweight, I don't know that, you know, five beers is going to make her black out the way she did. Right. Especially over the course of like a night. Cause they were going like they were out, you know? So right. they were doing trivia mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, but when I go do trivia with my friends and I have like beer and like we order beer, I also, we also get food. Right. Exactly. And you're not like chugging. <laughs> you're just like casually drink. You know what I mean? Like it's more right. chill. Mm-hmm. When you see the surveillance footage, when they arrive, it's definitely like still light outside. 
Mm-hmm. And when she leaves, it's dark. So it's been it's been some time. A few hours at least, yeah. Yeah. So she's like, I don't know this. So when he when Detective a- when Detective Jones asks her, like, does this jog your memory? She goes, actually, it just makes me want to throw up. Because there's this huge portion of her life she doesn't remember. Yeah. And it's right before something really critical happened. Now, I don't know if she was, like, browning out at this point or, like, you know, maybe she forgot, like, whole instances and then came back because that happens to people. It's happened to me where I'm, like, drunk and I don't remember big chunks of time, but then all of a sudden I remember other parts mm-hmm. that happen after. I'm not quite sure. Or maybe she's sobering up. I'm not sure. She could have been roofied in one of her beers. Yeah. I don't know. She just is like, this makes me want to throw up. Now, the problem with this situation is that Megan has the advocate, but then the advocate needs to quote unquote leave. And instead of Megan going, okay, well, then I'm going to leave until someone else is here with me. Megan's like, I got this. Thank you. And as soon as that advocate leaves, Detective Jones just fucking flips on her. Mm-hmm. It is like night and day. Mm-hmm. He doesn't ask her beforehand about the money being stolen. And she's like, yeah, I took it. It was $3. Mm-hmm. So he's like, she stole. They don't really address in the documentary the whole car thing. No. So I'm unsure. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the detective says to her, I don't doubt what you're telling me. However, <laughs> that's not true. Megan even says in, in the documentary, like you see the, the footage of her interview or interrogation. And she's like, I just feel like he has this, like some advantage over me. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And she was picking up what was happening. Like oh, she yeah. was accurately getting that these, that this detective was gunning it for her. Mm hmm. This isn't the way you say. Well, actually, what he's actually saying is it's exactly what you're saying it is. But he's rich, and we're not. We're gonna look the fucking other way. Yep. But we're gonna we're gonna fucking nail you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just don't know. Like she wasn't understanding. She's twenty. Again, little baby out in the world for real. First time flapping her wings, and this happens. Mm-hmm. So basically, how it works at the Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Department is that everything goes through Sheriff Abernathy. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, you have such a cool name. Why you gotta be such a douche? It's the way, way the cookie crumbles. Right. By the way, no one from the sheriff's office would speak to Rachel when she was going to do interviews. In fact, they were just like, no, no, thank you. And they even would tell her, oh, he just doesn't have time to meet with you because he made decisions so that he wouldn't have to. Yeah. So... How it goes is the sheriff's office decides whether it's a crime, and then it has to go to the DA's office, and a woman by the name of Paula Whitley signs off on it. If Paula doesn't sign off on it, it's not like an actual crime to be investigated and be prosecuted. Mm -hmm. So it has to go through two offices for this to be prosecuted, both Megan and Emma's. And so they do. Now we're introduced to one of my favorite kind of like people on the show. It's a man by the name of Carl Hirschman. He's been in a sex crime unit detective for 32 years. And we know that that's not where people stay. People do not stay in sex crime. So it's, it's kind of a, mm-hmm. an anomaly, really, that he yeah. has such knowledge. He tells us that 13 hours after she reported this crime, she went from victim to suspect. 13 hours. You can't even get a mm-hmm. rape kit back in 13 hours with a rush job. And that's if you have DNA to compare it to. Yeah. They start looking at the inconsistencies of her not knowing that 
that she didn't know that they went back to her apartment, that she was blacked out, that she was 20. And in the state of Alabama, you must be 21 to consume alcohol, you know, to purchase Mm -hmm. alcohol and consume it. So that's where they're kind of like going with this, with her being the suspect, being the false reporting. When you watch the documentary, you can see her body language during this time. She looks really scared. She's like kind of like imploding in on herself. Like she's like pulling herself in. She keeps holding Mm -hmm. her head in her hand. And it's been 13 hours. Like it hasn't been very long since this happened to her. Like I think like 13 hours, it's like she probably went home Mm -hmm. in the morning. And it's sometime Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon at this point. You know, she sticks to her story. TJ held her down and Mm -hmm. he took advantage of her. Now, interestingly enough, the Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Department and PD never treated TJ like he was a suspect. No. I mentioned earlier that Detective Detective Jones walked through his house and he says in the video, oh, they had consensual sex. It just sounds like they got too intoxicated and made some bad decisions. Fucking prick. Fucking prick. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have never come across a story before where, like, a potential sexual assault suspect was treated so cavalier. Like, hey, TJ, how's it going? I don't know. I know. He's the person of influence in town. His family's got money. But still, like, that should still be taken. Like, I would think that if I was that person, I'd want the police, like, if I hadn't done it, I'd want the police to actually find who did it. Mm -hmm. So my name can be cleared. But they fucking knew he did it. Exactly. It's just like it screams I'm on payroll. <laughs> My daddy writes your checks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just fucking horrible. Yeah. So here's the other fun thing. They allow him like he's like, hey, I got, I'm going oh fishing today. God. His fishing buddy for the day was his attorney. Because I think Jason was his attorney. I don't remember. Maybe. His attorney's name is Jason, all I know. But he, <laughs> yeah. and, he and his attorney go out on the lake, which means that for however long they were out there for that day, you know, a few hours, the fishermen I know will spend like eight hours on a lake. Mm-hmm. That means they sat out there and concocted the perfect story and they got their shit straight. Mm-hmm. The invest- mm-hmm. When they come in and they start talking, they start talking about him going fishing, not, hey, you're here because someone has accused you of of raping them. Yeah. Of sexual assault. It's how was fishing? Oh, you catch that? Yeah, it's just like it was a friendly visit and they were just catching up rather than being questioned on if you're a rapist or not. Right. So then generally how an invest an interrogation works is they say, "Okay, sir, walk us through what happened." No, no. Detective Jones spoon-feeds TJ his story. Mm-hmm. So you picked her up at the bar. You brought her back to your, you went to her house, you brought her back to your house, you guys had consensual sex. DJ's like, yep, that's right. We got you. Mm-hmm. To me, that's like, okay, no, no, you should ask. And then they, then they were just like done. Yeah. In fact, Detective Jones says something so fucking disgusting, in my opinion. Mm. This is what the man says to TJ. I know that if it was me in your shoes, me on your side, I'd want someone like me <laughs> Looking out for you. So basically, 
on fucking camera because he's recording this shit and like he knows they're recording this Mm -hmm. shit because he hit the fucking record button Mm -hmm. tells tj look i know you fucking raped her but i got your back sir you're good disgusting go live your life right i mm, you cannot you cannot change my mind on this fact the more that i've thought about this the more that i'm just like detective jones should not be a police officer a hundred percent I think there are many great police officers in this nation and that they, they serve and protect and that they're not given the, the amount of resources that they need. But this is not this case. This is a detective looking blindly or like willing to look past an indiscretion for a buddy. And it's something that's not even should be considered an indiscretion. Oh, right. It's so much worse. It's like, that's what's so appalling is like, they're acting like this is like, no big deal. Like a speeding ticket. They're acting like this is a speeding ticket and that Detective Jones is just doing his buddy a favor. Something that's even even as gross as this is when the detective leaves, I don't know if TJ just didn't think they were recording this or what, but this footage was obviously turned over to lawyers and to the show because TJ kind of like looks at his attorney and says, let's make it clear to her if she doesn't pursue me, I won't pursue her, but if she wants to pursue me, I'm going to play hardball. So he basically like threatened her, like not directly to her. He basically told Mm -hmm. his lawyer, like you go threaten her. Mm -hmm. And that's not considered victim tampering or like victim intimidation or anything like that. Hmm. And interestingly enough, the Tuscaloosa Police Department and the Sheriff's Department do not charge her they do originally charge her with false reporting Mm -hmm. but they don't they dismiss it they drop the charges and they only get her on theft because they can't go and look at the false reporting because then she has a chance to counter with i'm assuming what she would find as evidence Mm -hmm. against tj and they can't have that so then it's like no matter what it's kind of like that notion like if a burglar is in your house and slips on a knife and cuts themselves, they could sue you type shit. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> this is what it is. She stole, like she did. She committed a crime. She stole money. Granted it was $3. And I think TJ should have just got the fuck over it and thanked his lucky stars that he wasn't going to fucking prison, mm-hmm. but I digress. So they went after her. She can't ha- handle it. So she moves home, which I think is good. Like she moved home with her family and her family was really supportive. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you really needed to get into therapy. Cause she got really depressed. Yeah. And she filled out the paperwork. And sadly enough, like right after she filled out the paperwork, she took her own life. And in the paperwork, which was found in the same room as her body, is basically her paper, her intake paperwork for a therapist read like kind of like a suicide Mm. note. Yeah. And it was saying that the reason why she needed therapy is that she had been raped, bullied by the police, and she had to leave school and come home. Yeah. So... When I saw that, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was so heartbroken. So her family decided to sue the school, TJ Buns, and the sheriff's, and the Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Department. Mm -hmm. The school and TJ both settled out of court. Interesting. Which, good for them. Yeah. They should have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that if TJ had gone to court, all this would have come out, and statute of limitations was not the fuck up, even though she is not there. I think that would have hurt him more if the family had, like, wanted to press charges. Mm -hmm. However, the attorney general of Georgia determined that 
the Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Department could not be sued because they could not be held liable for what happened. Okay. Which I want to say is fucking bullshit. Like the fact that literally what reads as her suicide note points to the fact that she was bullied by police in their department. And fun fact, guys, Detective Jones still works there. Of course he does. So this made Rachel take note. The fact that Emma was like, I'm not go, I'm, I pled guilty because of what happened to Megan. So she starts looking, and by the time that she goes to repitch this to her boss, she has 160 cases of women who were charged with false reporting after a sexual assault. And these were women who were charged and mostly convicted. Now, Carl Hirschman, who is either, I think he's a retired detective now. He's out of San Diego. Mm. He's literally like, I, I love this man. I, I really hope that he gets some sort of like funding so he can take the shit nationally, the, yeah. what he does. Yeah. Literally, I was like thinking about this on the way home. I was like, I want to like find a way that the state of California can get him funding to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just need to find me a legislature. <laughs> I know know some. (laughs) (laughs) So he basically says the reason this kind of like is happening is that there are more and more victims of sexual assault coming forward because the ad campaigns are working. Mm -hmm. Something happens to you, tell. Mm -hmm. We've said consistently throughout this episode, they did the right thing. Yeah. They got, they went to the hospital. The police got involved. This is the shit they're supposed, this is the shit that we're supposed to do. But the problem is, is that there's more people reporting and either the same amount or less detectives handling sex crimes. And when you have a stack really high, basically he's saying, like, they're looking for the low-hanging fruit that they can turn and get off their desk Mm -hmm. and make it someone else's problem. And it's interesting because he demonstrates in about 45-second, like a 45-second false conversation, like fake conversation, Mm -hmm. how easy it is to get someone to, like, back down. He's like, take, like, an 18-year-old girl who's been out drinking, so Emma, mm-hmm. just tell her the DA will be really interested and is going to be really like, is going to really look at the fact that you were out drinking and you're underage and that's not going to look good on you. And then suddenly you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm just going to back away. And it's easy to, cl- it's, and it's easier to close a case with case closed due to arrest. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be an arrest for that crime. It can be an arrest for the false reporting Mm -hmm. and so that has kind of become this thing now one of the things that rachel was noticing when she was looking at these cases is that most if not all of them and i'll give you some little statistics later these were cases where they like knew the person or briefly right before had an encounter that a a total stranger assault this doesn't happen to but then she comes across one case and it is a girl by the name of Diane. And she is a 20-year-old college student. And she is driving home one night and she's listening to music. And mind you, she is a psychology and criminal justice major. So she's listening to music and she's kind of on this like back road. It's, it's dark. There's not a lot of streetlights. It kind of reminds me of the house, like the street I grew up on where it's like, you can mm-hmm. ask Tara, there was one streetlight mm-hmm. on my street. <laughs> You know, very rural, kind of dark. And she says that as she's driving, she like looks in her rearview mirror and it's like almost suddenly there's these lights go on. So she does what she's, you know, she's a criminal justice major. She knows what she's supposed to do. She pulls over 
The cop comes around and has his light, his flashlight in her eye and says to her, do you know how fast she was going? And she's like, I couldn't have been going more than 40. And he's like, get out of the car. And she asked him like, well, why? And he goes, well, if you're not going to be cooperative, I'm just going to like arrest you type thing. Right. So she gets out of the car and he immediately like turns her around really quickly and basically like above her clothes starts feeling her inappropriately and i'm very like i don't know all the details but it does sound like he may or may not have like he did touch her in her like pubic region Mm -hmm. but it may have been a little bit more than it may have been under clothes is what i'm kind of yeah getting Mm -hmm. and then she's like telling him like don't do this this isn't right and then all of a sudden he just stops walks back to his car gets in and drives away so she gets in her car. She's obviously upset. I'd be upset mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And she calls her she calls her dad and her dad is like call the police. Mm-hmm. So she calls the police. She goes to the police station. She gives them a very detailed statement. You can hear audio of it. They mm-hmm. ask her like, "Well, how tall do you think this individual like did you see his face?" And she's like, "No, cuz he had the light in my eyes and then he turned me around so quickly I didn't get a look at his face." And they go, okay, well, in comparison to you, how tall do you think he is? Which is a good question to ask. Yeah. And they go, and she goes, he's at least 6'4". Because Diane is like a tall girl. She's like, she looks like she's 5'8 and above for sure. Mm -hmm. So they were like, oh, okay. They get her statement and she leaves the room. I don't know if she leaves forever or just leaves the room for a little bit. And these these two cops start talking and they go, you know who this sounds like? This sounds like Dwayne Mullins. Because guess what? Dwayne Mullins is 6'5". Dwayne Mullins is 6'5 and has a history, has a record of impersonating police officers Mm -hmm. and currently was driving around in a Crown Victoria. (sighs) Mm -hmm. Did the police contact Dwayne Mullins? Of course not. Now that'd be too much work. So what they did instead, instead of going and like getting this person that they, that they have, not her, Diane doesn't even know who this fucker is. Mm-hmm. It's not even till like much later does she even know that there's somebody like named Dwayne Mullins. They don't go contact him, but they decide, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to drive the road in which Diane took. And they come up with all these like specific places where there are all these cameras and they start pulling footage. So then they're like, hey, Diane, we'd like to come down and talk to you at your school. Is that cool? And they're like, sure. She's, you know, not thinking anything's wrong. And she could tell when they were talking to her that they had turned on her. Mm -hmm. Because they go, hey, you know, what's really interesting is we have this footage of, like, the house that's, like, just, you just went past it, right? And there's no one behind you, interestingly enough. We called the dealership you drove by and spoke to an Adam. And Adam says he he saw you in the footage go by, but no one behind you. Because it's not like the tree clump, like, there's, like, clump of trees like right past this house it's not like this dude could have been sitting there she said it was really all of a sudden she didn't drive very far right they basically tell her that she's guilty and she goes down to the police station and they're telling her like you're guilty and they ask her they they keep going like why did you do this Mm -hmm. and all she ever answers is i don't know and to quote my late father i don't know isn't a real answer it is a real answer for a lot of things, but <laughs> my dad always used to say that, like, in serious things. Like, yeah. my dad would say that about, like, your actions. Like, you know why you do things. Yeah. So they tell her, like, if you plead guilty, 
if you plead guilty, we'll go easy on you. And she just breaks down. And while she's being arrested, they literally like post all of this online. While she's being booked, processed, and then released, they post on their Facebook that we caught this person making a false report of blah, blah, blah. And her roommate, like she gets home, she's barely home. And her roommate is like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. And so she has to deal with that. And it's like this whole phenomenon of like the gone girl syndrome where like some girl has fabricated her sexual assault for attention. And like that's what Carl points out is, is that like Diane didn't have like a quote unquote reason to be striving for attention. She was doing good in school. Her relationships were solid. She had great relationships with her parents. I don't know if she was dating someone, but like it kind of seemed like all her relationships were solid. She yeah. wasn't an insecure person. She was very intelligent. She is very intelligent. She's, she's still with us. I said that past tense and I wanted to make sure. <laughs> that. And so the, that's what the police are basically making it up is that she concocted this like sexual assault in her head and made it up. And then why do you fucking know who Dwayne Mullins is that fits this description? In fact, Dwayne Mullins didn't even know about this fucking case until Rachel tracked him down and asked him questions. Right. And Dwayne Mullins looks very distinct. Mm-hmm. He a big old dude. My older brother is six, like almost six, six. If mm-hmm. you're that tall, you command a presence. Yeah. People don't forget you too easy. When people mm-hmm. meet my older brother, they go, damn. <laughs> like, ask Tara, he an oak tree. Mm-hmm. Dwayne is kind of an oak tree. Yeah. It's just like, it's very interesting that they were like, she's the one who did this, right? Then they start talking about some facts. It's a fact that one in three women in their lifetime will be a victim of some sort of sexual assault or harassment. It is one out of every six men will also be a victim, which is a much higher, like when I say higher number, it's like I expected it to be like one in 20 men. Yeah, it's a lot more common than people think. Yeah. And that's just what's being reported. Right. And so I've been a victim of it. Tara mm-hmm. has mentioned on here that she's been a victim of it. Mm-hmm. We're looking at two girls on a podcast. We 100%. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Right. So it happens a lot. So at this point, Rachel has like all this, all these stories and she's got to narrow it down because you can't do Freedom of Information Acts on every single precinct or every single <laughs> sheriff's <laughs> office in the United mm-hmm. States. That would take an army just to go through the, pa- the logistical paperwork. Yeah. But they pick 52 cases and they get to aggressively to get Freedom of Information Acts to get copies of all of the shit, all of the statements, all of the evidence. They get they get this out of the 52 cases. Only one was processed in the proper way that you're supposed to process this. And this is how this is how you're supposed to do it. A victim comes in. Mm -hmm. They say, I've been assaulted. You take their statement. You collect evidence like a rape kit. You do that kind of stuff, right? You then go and investigate this, meaning that you go talk to the subject, actually interview and interrogate the subject. Not like they did with Dwayne Mullins. Not like they did with TJ Buttons. And then that basically that case has to be closed due to like lack of evidence, due to the person recanting. Mm -hmm. Once that is closed, then you're supposed to open an investigation into the false reporting. Most of these cases, 51 out of 52 of them were done not that way. Out of 52 cases, 36 reporting victims knew or briefly had met the suspect prior to the assault happening. 
35 out of the 52 mentioned in their reports of like their victim statements, police indicate the terms inconsistencies. So it's really like pointing out that they they don't have their story straight. Out of 52 cases, 15 arrests were pursued within 24 hours. And we're not talking of a sexual assault suspect. We're talking about 24 hours after a victim has given their statement or has filed a complaint. Mm. They are then arrested or pursued for false reporting. That's so fast. You cannot get a DNA test no. back that fast. You can't even mm-hmm. get a rape kit back that fast. Yeah. Especially if these are happening on Saturday. Like if you think like statistically the highest nights are like Friday and Saturday nights, mm-hmm. you're not getting that shit even processed until Monday. Mm-hmm. Out of 52 cases... 32 recant their statements. And the number one kind of like reason why that people say is that the police use deceit as a way to get them. Yep. Now, for some of you, I might break this little bubble you live in, but the <laughs> police are allowed to lie to you. Mm-hmm. They do not have to tell you the truth. Yeah. They can 100% look you in the eye and say, we have footage of you making out with Steven before you're getting in the car. Knowing full well... They don't have fucking shit. Mm-hmm. So basically, this tactic of using deceit is not tell. According to Detective Walberto Cotto, who handled Megan's case, deceit is not telling you the truth, but getting the truth. For instance, we find out because, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, they didn't have like. When Emma's lawyers got all of her stuff, there was no video footage attached to any of the discovery. And they kept asking and asking and asking. It actually took Rachel, like, contacting, getting, like, hiring a lawyer in Georgia or in Alabama to go after the Tuscaloosa Sheriff's Department Mm -hmm. to get this footage. So they do. They get this footage. And it's a four-camera point of view, and it's hours of that night. And they watch it. And they look for couples, they look for groups of people, and they don't ever see Emma on the camera. Mm-mm. Ever. There is a couple. You see Emma, like, in the video that she shared of, like, that her f- friend had recorded from the night before. Emma is wearing this, like, shirt that's, like, got, like, cross-hatching in the front. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little okay. It's super cute. Yeah. And she's wearing, like, high-waisted shorts that are like a floral print, and her hair is in braids. Mm -hmm. The woman in the video is wearing a long flowy skirt or dress or some sort of like long, like, I don't know if it's like maybe. Mm -hmm. Like a cardigan? Kind of like a cardigan, but you know, like more of I'm thinking like the fashion where you wear something that's like kind of like buttons in the front, but then has like a long cape, like it's a long, Mm -hmm. like long skirt in the back. like A-line? In the front. Mm Kind of. (laughs) anyway very different than what she was wearing very different very flowy emma's clothes were all like touching her body Mm -hmm. this woman's hair was down their body types are different the guy doesn't look anything like steven but this is the footage that they this footage right there of that girl making out with that dude just in a alleyway is what they used was their big hard (laughs) evidence and it's not even that's why they never gave it to her attorney because they would have been like that's not her Mm -hmm. Can you imagine being that girl, like, that was making out with a dude in the in oh there, and, gosh. like, let's say you watch this documentary. And you recognize yourself? Oh, my God. And you're like, oh, shit, that's me. I, I was not, that's not her. <laughs> right. I would be like, oh, my God. And it's not like this couple made out for a while and then got into a car and then the car was a rockin'. They made out for, like, 
maybe a minute or two, you know, cute, probably on a date. And then they walked off. Yeah. Not getting in any vehicle. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the fuck they were talking about. So there's no actual footage of this. Basically, the reason why Rachel is interviewing Detective Cotto, who was handled Megan's case, it's because of the fact that he ha- he was handling this case. But he's the only one who would talk to her, really. Mm-hmm. And she needed a law enforcement perspective for this article. And when they asked Detective Cotto what his job is, he's like, my job is a fact-finding mission. Ugh. Okay. Um, sir, not in this case. No. And he uses something called the Reed Method, which has nine steps of interrogation. And one of them is to lie to your suspect to get them to confess. Because what is conf- a confession? We know of so many cases that literally come down to the confession. And that's why attorneys will spend hours and hours and hours to get confessions thrown out. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, they are so damning. Yeah. Detective Cotto says that he admits in this case he used a ruse. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Detective Cotto did not investigate. My apologies. Did not investigate Megan. He is actually the detective on Nikki's case. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. I apologize. He tells Nikki, you know, everyone has phones at this party and they're, <laughs> they're a bunch of people filming. And I see, like, I have footage of you going into the bathroom. Nobody grabbed you and pulled you in. Did they grab you and pull you in? And she kind of goes, well, no, but they grabbed my arm and pulled me, which is pulling you in. Mm-hmm. They didn't like drag her in. They right. just kind of like harshly pulled her. Mm-hmm. And basically he admits like I used a ruse in that case. Nikki doesn't actually ever confess that she is falsely accusing this guy. Mm-hmm. She just kind of like Emma stops agreeing with him and is yeah. like, mm-hmm, okay. And one of the techniques they use in the read method is that you're supposed to like close the distance between you and the suspect to make mm-hmm. them uncomfortable. Yeah. And Detective Cotto does. You see him like scoot forward and I want to reach through and smack him mm-hmm. so hard mm-hmm. because. This is a woman who less than 24 hours before this was telling him that she'd been raped by two football players in a bathroom at a party. And this motherfucker, yes, Detective Cotto, you motherfucker, Mm. had the audacity to touch her. Yeah. Several times. Fucking trash. I'm like, are you kidding me? You should be like. Respectful, but no. If I touch you, like if anything, like you should be like like red flagging yourself and being like, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have touched you. Like, I get it. Like, you're trying to maybe comfort someone. Like, that's kind of an instinct as, like, humans as we reach out to people. But as a law enforcement agent, you should be trained not to do that. Mm-hmm. But he was doing it to make her uncomfortable. To quote Tara, fucking trash. <laughs> yeah. Rachel then asks Detective Cotto, did you interview either suspect? And he goes, no, they didn't want to. I'm sorry, why does a rapist have the choice again? Right. Interesting. Right. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know that was an option. I did not know if you were being accused of a crime by someone else that you didn't have to come talk to the police. Apparently, in small town Connecticut, if you go to a prestigious school, you don't have to go in. So, they didn't interview them. Then Rachel says to him, Well, you know that, like, one of the guys that you, that was one of your suspects, had been accused a month earlier of sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, sexual assault. 
Hmm. And Detective Kodo starts off with like, well, no. Oh, no, I didn't know. <laughs> well, here, and he starts to fucking mansplain this uh-huh. with his like weirdly colored lips. I'm sorry, I had to look. They were like tangerine. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> because he's like, mm, no, see what happened was like this whole like, and then he goes, um, I don't, can I see that? And like, I'm pretty sure like, she got this information from his police department. Yeah. And he was like, oh, no, I don't I don't know this. And goes over and, like, stops the interview and is, like, looking it up and, like, t- taking your time. And Rachel is just sitting there, like. Take a time, I got bitch. time. <laughs> I got all the time in the world. <laughs> and basically, it, like, completely discredits him as a human being because it's like. Yeah. You're telling me that, like, you have two suspects and you didn't run a background check on them? But he says he did. He says he ran a background check and they were clean. But, like, if he had ran a background check, this would have popped up because it was in his own fucking precinct. Uh-huh. In the same crime unit. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't like he committed burglary and they just hadn't filed the shit on their end. This is the same fucking people. Like, you could walk over and be mm-hmm. like, hey, Ted, do you know anything about this kid, Billy? I don't know their names. I'm just making it Right. Up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that simple. But... They didn't want to come talk to the cops, and that was fine with Detective Kodo. So then we leave Detective Kodo, which makes me happy, because that man. Mm. Mm. And we go back to Emma's case. And Emma's case basically now can be overturned. Like, she can go back Mm -hmm. and be like, hey, we have this evidence. Just kind of, like, flash forward to, like, talk about that really quickly. She hires an attorney. She does. And they're looking into that. Danny pled guilty. Mm -hmm. And then went to an appeal because she's like, fuck this, I didn't do this. Mm Mm-hmm. And she gets an expert witness who is just like, her name is Miss Gray. She's fucking bomb ass. She literally is just like, they ask her a question and she's like, A, B, and C. These are the reasons why. Mm -hmm. This is what's wrong. Just like, boom, boom, boom. I loved it. And they go to court and Rachel is there and Diane's like, I'm so nervous for today. And then they cut to like a little bit in court. And then they cut to like Diane and like standing in the parking lot crying. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, Diane. It was, a, it was totally, a, it was, it was a good thing. <laughs> she was found not guilty. The judge yeah. was like, yeah, absolutely. She didn't, she didn't false report. Yeah. Y'all didn't do your fucking job. Exactly. So good for her. Another statistic they share with this is that most victims of sexual assault crimes are between the ages of 14 and 26. And those, those are hard years because like you, you know, your brain hasn't fully formed. It doesn't fully form until you're 27. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're on the younger end of that spectrum, a lot of times you're being told don't tell. Yeah. A lot of times it's by someone you really know and probably care about. Now, I mentioned earlier that Carl has been a, or he was a detective in the sex unit for 32 years. Mm-hmm. And what made him stick with it is that his sister was, in fact, sexually assaulted and raped twice. Once when she was 13, the cops came, they did nothing. Mm -hmm. Because of that, she got into drugs, which led to her being in in a situation that allowed her to have it happen again. Yeah. Not her fault, just Mm -hmm. the way that, like, a lot of people handle this is that they they go down that route. And no cop did anything. So Carl Hirschman is in this world writing that wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Because his sister suffered her whole life because of this thing that happened to her when she was 13 and it wasn't her fault. Mm -hmm. So he trains investigators, which is really interesting to me because basically 
Emma and Diane go and they speak to these invest these investigators who are learning this. And they, he does like mock setups. Like he has like like at first I was like, is this like a footage of his like someone interviewing mm-hmm. someone? Right. Because he sets up like a living room and like yeah. you go and you investigate and he critiques it. He's like, you know, maybe don't ask the same question two times in a row. Because why? And then he opens it up and other detectives are like, maybe they won't think you're listening to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe like they think that you won't, you don't trust them or believe them. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe you're at, like, maybe you're like asking for more clarification and you don't understand that like you're asking the same question twice, but you have to be really careful, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, these are the things that he's teaching them. He's teaching them like how to like look at inconsistencies, not as red flags, but as like, maybe literally this person just went through this traumatic event and their brain is still processing it. Mm-hmm. How do we help them? How do we not go and have hundreds of cases of women being charged with false reporting because detectives are overworked? Emma and Diane go and speak and give their impact statement to these officers. And these officers, like you can tell, are like absorbing this. And they're realizing, like you can kind of tell that like some of them are seeing like, shit, I've done things like that. And the more that Carl does this, like he really does. He needs funding. Like this needs to be a national thing. Yeah, people talk about defunding the police. I think what needs to happen is we need to reallocate money to like train them because you can be the best fucking carpenter in the whole world. But if you have a shitty hammer, Mm -hmm. your tools, Mm -hmm. you're not going to make things that are pretty. We need to give them the proper tools to help them be the best they can. Right. So God bless Carl Hirschman. He's out of San Diego. He teaches this. I, I think this is fantastic. Mm hmm. Before Rachel publishes her story, which did come out, it came out earlier this year. Yes. Before the documentary came out. Mm -hmm. Before Rachel published it, she reached out to the Tuscaloosa Police Department one more time and was like, hey, I'm releasing this article. You've given us nothing. Mm -hmm. And then miraculously, Hmm. the only video footage of Emma of that night is sent over to Rachel and it 100% cooperates her story because I totally skipped a huge chunk. I'm really sorry. I'm going to do this. So basically with Emma, once Rachel gets all the footage and everything, her and Emma go back to Tuscaloosa and mm-hmm. walk the streets. They walk the way that Emma says that she went. They, and then they walk the route the police say that she went mm-hmm. with all the footage. And she's like, I wasn't here. I didn't come down here. And then they go to the fucking parking lot where she was assaulted. And mind you, the police have been telling her that they have footage of her assault as consensual sex. There's not even a fucking camera in that parking lot. Mm-mm. There's never been a camera in no. that parking lot. They fucking lied to her. Yep. The footage that they have with her and Steven is exactly what she said, is that her and Steven, the other guy from the video, and then I believe a friend of hers, were walking down the street. That's all that shows. It's like a ring doorbell camera and they're walking past. I don't even think Emma and Steven are touching. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They're just walking. They're just walking. Mm-hmm. And this is the fucking evidence that they didn't want to turn over because it would have completely exonerated her. Yeah. <sighs> you fuck yeah. Emma lost her appeal and so she's going to a higher court and mm-hmm. so that's what she's going to have to do. Yeah. Thank God for Rachel for doing this, for like having this call of herself to Mm -hmm. like find this injustice, because the only way we're ever going to fix this is if it comes to light. And the only way to fix this is to give people the proper tools to handle it. Mm -hmm. So 
the powers that be need to fucking fix it. Yeah. That's my soapbox for today. Hmm. It was little this time. I didn't rant too long. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I hope if you watch this documentary that you get something out of it. Yeah. And know your rights. Like, you have the mm-hmm. right to ask to see... You have the right to ask to see the footage. Mm-hmm. You have the right to see what evidence they have against you. Yeah. You have the right to an attorney. The second that you ask for an attorney, cops can no longer ask you questions. And if you're like, if I ask for an attorney, it'll make me feel sound guilty. If they're already like, if they're the already, to you, yeah, <laughs> then they already think you're guilty. And if they say, hey, why are you asking for an attorney? Are you guilty? Just be like, well, you're treating me like a suspect and suspects get attorneys. Mm hmm. You want to treat me like I'm the victim of this crime? Then we'll talk again. Yep, exactly. So, both Detective Ackridge and Detective Jones are still employed, and they are still in the sex crime unit, and they are poo-poo-kachoo, and I don't like them, and Mm -hmm. I don't think they should be cops. Same. I think there are plenty of good cops out there who would do the job so much better. There's so many people out there who would do the job better, but are turned away because of the fact that cops don't do a good job in some instances. And it gives, it's like that saying, one bad apple rots the whole barrel. And that's what's happening with our, with our police force. I said I was going to have a small soapbox. It turned out to be a medium soapbox. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. Let us know what you think. Go over to the mm-hmm. Facebook group and... Uh, Talk, watch let's it. talk about this in the if thread. Watch this, watch this documentary if you want to. It's, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. And with that, we're going to sign off. So toodles, McNeil. Bye. Bye.